0: Hi, and welcome to the Homeschool Snapshots podcast. I'm Pam Barnhill, your host, and this is the podcast that gives you a peek into the lives of the homeschoolers next door. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 47 of the Homeschool Snapshots podcast. I'm Pam Barnhill, your host, and I am so happy that you are joining me here today. Well, today I was absolutely delighted to get to speak to Jennifer Pepito. Now, Jennifer is a homeschooling mom of seven, and she's also the author of The Peaceful Preschool, which is a preschool curriculum that she has available. And you always go into these interviews thinking that you're gonna talk about one thing with a particular guest, and sometimes that gets twisted around and you talk about so much more than what you anticipated. And so if you are a mom of teens, I think you're going to find some wonderful information in this podcast as well. So, there's a little bit of something for everyone from the preschoolers all the way up to getting your kids ready to go off to college in this episode of the podcast. I think you're going to enjoy. So, grab a hot drink, put your feet up, and we'll get on with the show. Jennifer Pepito is a mom of seven and the co-author of The Peaceful Preschool, a literature and project-based curriculum for little ones. She is also the author of Bountiful Homeschooling on a Budget and a contributor to the book Homeschool Methods. In addition, Jennifer is a regular contributor to Wild and Free and has published articles in magazines such as Home Educating Family and Homeschool Enrichment. She has a passion for encouraging moms of very young children, and through her writing and conference talks, she seeks to help families create rich and meaningful preschool experiences for their children at home. Jennifer, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me today, Pam. I'm so excited. Well, I am so happy to have you here. Could you start off by telling all of us a little bit about your family? Well, I have seven children.
1: I'm married to my husband, Scott. He's a great patient daddy. and our kids are 23 is the oldest and all the way down to eight years old. So we've got a nice big age span in there. And I've been homeschooling for like 18 years. I think every six months I try to add an extra year, but I think it's 18 years. Probably every
0: six months it feels like you've
1: added an extra
0: (laughs) year. Something like that. Oh, well, how did you guys
1: get started homeschooling? You know, I actually wanted to homeschool when I had like a three-year-old, I think we had met a family who homeschooled and I loved how they interacted together and how much love there was in the family. And that really got me excited. So I went to my first homeschool meeting when I probably had a three-year-old preschooler.
0: You know what? That's very similar. I think I started my first homeschool group when I my oldest was four. So yes. yeah. We're i eager beavers. Very much so. Well... Tell me, Jennifer, your homeschool day is most like which literary classic?
1: Okay, is this multiple choice? Or do I have to just like, come up with one out of my head? You have to come up with one out of your head. You
0: know, what What, what I would love to say
1: is Little House on the Prairie, we're actually I'm working on writing a curriculum based on that. And so we're doing a lot of little pioneer crafts or making bread. I'm not as patient and kind and just lovely as Ma is depicted in the books, I have to say. But And that would definitely be what I'd probably want my homeschool day to look like, too, is just all that productivity and diligence and patience.
0: Yeah, you know, I'm sorry. That question used to be multiple choice, and it totally (laughs) threw you that we changed it. So I keep running into that. But that was a great answer. I love Little House on the Prairie. And actually looking at some of the stuff you do in the peaceful preschool, that's exactly what it makes me think of. So
1: Yes, I'm always excited about the opportunity to learn through our hands yeah. and really making sure that people know how valuable that is.
0: Well, Jennifer, if you were walking down the aisle of a homeschool vendor hall and you turned the corner and you met a younger version of yourself, what would you tell her? Well,
1: I think partly I just tell her to have a little bit more self-acceptance and acceptance of her kids. I know for myself as a young homeschool mom, I was very much a perfectionist. And my identity was very much wrapped in in my kids' performance. And then I had a child with learning disabilities. And you really can't be too wrapped up in your performance or your child's performance when they have a difficulty. So for sure, I would love for myself at that time and, and young moms know young moms now to know that you're loved. And it doesn't matter what your performance is on a day-to-day basis as long as we keep trying. Wow, I love
0: that message, just to keep trying. And you're going to measure that performance over years and years, not just in the every minute of every day kind of thing.
1: Right, right. Just realizing that we're in process. I love I just read a quote by Madeline LaEngle and she was talking about, you know, how we don't hand our children a finished package of themselves or the finished product. It's a process. And so realizing that for our kids and for ourselves that we have a lifelong process of learning and developing as people.
0: Yeah, I think sometimes we can get really stuck on, oh, I've failed today. And we do it to ourselves often, you know, on a fairly regular basis that we don't always look back at, well, yeah, but look at what you've accomplished over the past six months or the past year or something like that. Absolutely. Well, if you could have one homeschool guru over for dinner, who would you invite? Boy, that's a good question. Can I have three?
1: <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think it's funny because I I knew the question was there. And so Partly, I was thinking of Diana Waring, who's not as prominent now in the homeschool. Like I don't hear her name as much as I used to, but her and Sarah Mackenzie both have so much joy, and I really appreciate that. I think I think homeschoolers, by and large, need more joy in our lives. Need to just like laugh a little bit more and not take ourselves so seriously. But the other person I thought of was Andrew Pudawa, and he's oh. not the He's not the silliest guy in the world, but he's so he's so interesting, and he just has so many. Deep and interesting thoughts about things. So, yeah, I suppose it depended on whether I needed some wisdom or wisdom with a little laughter.
0: That would be a great dinner, actually. I would love to be a fly on the wall <laughs> at that particular dinner. Oh, it would be interesting. <laughs> yeah, it really would, because Poudwa actually has this really great sense of humor, and so he doesn't come across necessarily as the silliest person. But I think if you got him and Sarah McKenzie in the room together. Yeah, there would
1: actually be a lot of laughter. There
0: would be a ton of laughter there just because of that sense of humor that he has. So, yeah, that would be really great. Did Diana write the multiple learning styles? I don't think so, but she's written
1: books about like homeschooling for the long haul. She wrote a couple books that were kind of like a compilation of other people's homeschool stories. But I've seen her speak and she really has a message of you know, of joy and encouraging your children and kind of a a very positive, uplifting message.
0: Yeah, I love books like that, where they have different, well, obviously, (laughs) I love different people's homeschool stories, because that's really what we do here on the podcast. But I just really love books like that, where it looking at homeschooling from a lot of different viewpoints and a lot of different people's stories. So those would be some good books to look up. Yeah, and encouraging too. Yes, very much encouraging. One of the books that really made me feel like I could homeschool from the very beginning was Lisa Welchel's book. Oh, interesting. I've
1: never read it. I know who she is, of course, but I've never read her book.
0: Yeah, she had a book and I'm going to like completely mess up the name, but it was something like, so you think you want to homeschool or something like that. And it was like 20 different families. And it just, you know, it was not presenting homeschool as like one right way or the fact that there was only one way, but it was just all of these little different vignettes of homeschooling. And in reading that book, probably like you, when my oldest was three or four, I was like, oh, I could so do this. This looks like something that would be really great. Uh, totally. Yeah. So I'll have to check out some of Diana's books as well. So uh, Jennifer, are you a planner or do you fly by the seat of your pants?
1: Oh, I'm a little bit of both. Actually, I think that I have a 23 year old who's an honor student at the university and she's got, you know, won a couple scholarships or things like that. And so to some degree, that's made me a little bit probably overconfident as a homeschooler. And so at this point, I don't do tons of planning. Like we have our books and I have curriculums that are picked out for my kids, but we do a lot of kind of chasing the spark. We'll read some books and I'll have them do a little bit of math, but I'm not necessarily planning out exactly which pages we'll do every day and and exactly which chapters we'll read every day. Do you enjoy the planning process? I do like planning, but it's more an issue of time. And it's also an issue of wanting to leave some flexibility in my day so that if my kids are interested in something, there's room for them to pursue the things they're interested in learning about. Okay. Well, talk to me a little bit more about how you do that. Well, okay. So I have... Right this year I'm homeschooling two high school students, a freshman and a sophomore. They're both boys and then I'm also homeschooling a second grader and a fourth grader. The second grader is a boy and the fourth grader is a girl. So like the fourth grader pretty much reads anytime I'm not doing direct school with her, she's either reading or doing imaginative play and sometimes I don't want to interrupt either of those things to impose my own curriculum on. so you know, in between her reading, I will, Do a short lesson on apostrophe usage. So, I have a a grammar curriculum that we're working through. But instead of making my kids do every lesson and do a full lesson every day, I will copy out the worksheets that accompany it. We're using Rod and Staff Grammar this year. I'll copy out the worksheets. We'll go over the lesson orally together. I'll work a few problems out with them and then I'll let them finish. And then after that, they might take a break and read for a while or work on a project they're interested in working on. So, you know, I feel like. In general, all four of those kids are involved in productive pursuits. And so I don't feel like I have to micromanage each moment of their day. And we definitely keep the TV off. You know, I will I will put on like a TED ed, their little short videos explaining chemistry principles or interesting science topics. So I'll put on occasionally an educational video, but there's almost no video games or, you know, movie TV time at all. So then usually the kids are involved in something productive because most of what children do is fulfilling some kind of a learning need that they
0: have. Yeah, that's very true. Okay, so you said you would do that with your fourth grader. Would you feel as comfortable letting like your college, not your college, excuse me, your high schooler do that kind of same approach as well, where. Well, they're really involved in that reading. Are you going to interrupt them? Not necessarily, because. You know, I mean, for me,
1: I have, so right now I have two kids who are, one of them got his AA degree as a high school student, and then the other one is finishing up her bachelor's. And neither of those children were, were, we were doing mission work and we were moving a lot and I was having babies. So neither one of them had a very intensive education, actually. You know, I would assign curriculum, I would tell them what they had to do, but I wasn't necessarily standing over their shoulder every minute, making sure that every single lesson was completed. And yet both of those kids went through college with like a 3.75, 4.0 grade point average and are very productive people and good at managing their time. And so with the next two, who I've, I've been a lot more laid back with in some ways, but they're still very creative. So my one high school student, he does an algebra class at the junior college, and he's very good this year because he had some problems with it last year at getting his homework done. So I don't have to harass him about that and then the the other subjects that I have my high school student studying are like some foreign language, some science and and then he's the one who loves to write so he's written a couple books and published them on Amazon. So I don't really have to assign a ton of writing for him, but I do have something really fun this year my oldest daughter who's a college student is teaching a world history class for a group of homeschoolers in our community That's and fun. that fulfills some more of their writing and reading requirements so you know some of the more important subjects to me like doing a good job with math doing a good job with writing are very important to me and those I'm outsourcing right now to some degree with that the sophomore and then partly with the freshman but then I also you know have lots of reading assigned and then they choose to read a lot and communicate we have a lot of discussions about things so I feel like there's a lot of learning that's natural But we still, you know, we're still assigning difficult books and classical works of literature, but it's just a little bit more of a natural flow as opposed to like, this is the hour you do science and this is the hour you do
0: math. Right. Oh, that's a great glimpse into what high school can look like from a little more relaxed perspective, because I think a lot of homeschoolers feel like even if they're more relaxed in the younger grades, when they get to high school, they've got to kind of buckle down and start checking those boxes off uh, for that transcript.
1: Yeah and it, you know getting a good grade on your SAT is very important for college you know if you want to get college scholarships or get accepted at colleges getting a good grade on ACT SAT whatever your college entrance exam that's very important but that doesn't necessarily come from your subjects it it partly comes from doing really well in math and really having a good understanding of math and then having a great vocabulary because that's a big part of the SAT is knowing what words mean and how to use them in sentences and being able to write. So, you know, we can just relax a little bit in high school and let their interests lead in some of these subjects because often our kids will retain more if at least partly it's interest led. Okay.
0: I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah, that's a great perspective. I'm glad that uh, we spent a little bit of time talking about the high school. So if you we're talking to a mom here who has, you know, maybe a kid who's in eighth grade and they're going into ninth grade next year, or they even have a ninth grader or even a 10th grader, and they're looking at that college process, what kind of recommendations do you have for that mom?
1: You know, I think that one of the most important things would be to figure out your plan for the SAT, because you need to be taking like the PSAT or whatever in your sophomore year. So having them do some Khan Academy training or College Board has other recommendations for SAT training. It's interesting because I podcasted for Wild and Free with Jeannie Fulbright, And she was telling me that her daughter mostly did ballet dancing through high school and then decided towards the end of her high school years that she wanted to go to college and was able to get some tutoring in the SAT. So they got a tutor and get a great grade on her SAT. And then I think they're in Georgia and somehow the higher score you get on your SAT, the more money you get for college. And she got like a full ride scholarship to the college of her choice without actually doing a whole lot of academics in high school. It was more that they did focused SAT tutoring. So I I would, even as a ninth grader, I would start having them, you know, if you weren't doing much testing in elementary, junior high, I would get them a little bit more comfortable with memorizing definitions and taking tests and make sure they're doing a solid math program. But, you know, make sure that they still are reading a lot and partly reading for interest because it's the reading and understanding vocabulary that's going to have a big impact on their SAT score as far as the language portion goes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. A lot of that test taking, if I remember correctly, because it's been a long time since I took them, but a lot of it is basically your ability to read and comprehend well. Exactly. Yeah. Well, what would your kids say are the best or worst parts of being homeschooled?
1: Oh, interesting. I think probably my older kids, if there was a worse part, one of them is more social than the other. And for him, probably a worse part would be not having enough social time, we have a good uh, homeschool community this year. And so there's more stuff happening for them. And I see more of a community being built. But there have been times in our years of homeschooling where there wasn't much of a community or the people that we knew, they just didn't click with very well. So that might be, I, I can't imagine much else being a worse part for them because they, they definitely have a
0: lot of fun in their homeschool days. Oh, that's awesome. Well, let's talk about preschool for just a few minutes. So what is your philosophy for doing preschool at home?
1: You know, I really loved the writings of Montessori. And and there's a, a book, Montessori from the Start and Montessori in the Classroom, that were written by Linda Lillard or her daughter. There's Linda Polk or Linda Lillard. But in those books, there was a big focus on teaching preschoolers to be independent learners. And for me with a big family and then part of the time living on the mission field, I was really into that idea of, you know, teaching a young child to be able to get themselves dressed and streamlining their drawers so it's easy for them to pick out what they need to wear and making learning activities very accessible for young children, teaching them how to do them and how to put them away. So, you know, a big part of my philosophy for preschool is making easy for your preschoolers to learn, because I don't think that you need to necessarily have a super intensive preschool program, but I think that it needs to be an accessible home where learning can happen naturally. You know, I think some kids end up in their school years having some problems with academics because there were some developmental things that didn't get taken care of in the earlier years. And so like my preschool program really stresses fine motor and large motor skills because way more important, you know, it's more important in those early years to have your fine motor skills developed, your large motor skills developed than to pick up a workbook and start learning your letters. Because the learning of some of these things can happen really fast if the underlying development is in place.
0: Yeah. And I was looking, I was reading an article not too long ago online where it was saying that, you know, we have so many kids who are struggling with writing these days because they haven't done some of those fine motor and and large motor things. You know, they spend their time either watching TV or playing on devices and things like that. And they haven't done the other things like Play-Doh and tree climbing and, uh, you know, monkey bars and other things that they would normally be doing with their fingers that are either the teeny tiny things like strengthening the muscles like with Play-Doh or the strengthening the bigger muscles with, you know, something like being outside and running around and climbing. Right. And I I think that's
1: something really sad about the school system now in the United States, at least. It's so focused on on testing and on schools getting money based on kids' progress in reading and writing and math at a very early age. And it doesn't translate into educational gains later on. It probably translates into burnout. Whereas if you give kids a little bit more freedom in those early years to read good books and play with Play-Doh and climb trees, like you said, then the learning that should happen would happen easily and it would happen at the right time and they wouldn't have lost all the benefits and the gains that come from having your imagination developed and having your motor skills developed.
0: Yeah. And not to mention, like you said, just being completely burnt out on the whole process of learning instead of it being something that they enjoy. So exactly. Yeah. Well, what inspired you to create the Peaceful Preschool and what makes it different from other preschool programs? You know, I have wanted to write a
1: preschool curriculum for a long time because I loved some of the things that I had learned through the Montessori books that I'd read and through books like Slow and Steady, Get Me Ready. But a lot of the books that I had seen were more kind of a list of activities you could do. But to me, that was a little bit confusing. Like If I didn't have a daily plan, it's funny because now I'm not a huge planner, but I I do recognize how helpful it is to have somebody tell you, do this today. Because sometimes when we have young children, we just don't have the mental energy to flip through a bunch of books and find an activity to do with our kids. Hey, so, <laughs> you know, so so really a big part of the peaceful preschool curriculum is just pulling together activities and making it easy for moms to do something fun with their kids and develop some skills without it being, you know, a big job pulling together printables or, you know, a lot of work trying to figure out which activities to do when. So, you know, and and I don't I don't think that every kid needs to do preschool. I think if you have an atmosphere in your home that Is conducive to learning, and you're reading lots of books aloud to your kids and you're giving them lots of focused eye contact and attention. I think that most kids will develop just fine, but most of us want to do something and we kind of want to know what to do. And so, what it is is a tool for families who want to do something a little bit more intensive with our kids and just enjoy that process. It's, you know, in some ways, the peaceful preschool is more about creating memories and creating Mm -hmm. intentional time with our kids. Than it is necessarily about education, even though I, I know that it will benefit your child educationally. It's just not the biggest focus that those years, because I feel like those years, it's important to develop an imagination and a love of learning and a really good relationship with your family.
0: Yeah. And you know, it's funny because with our oldest, we're so anxious to get started. And we really want to do something with them. It's kind of hard to hold ourselves back and not push and do too much. I mean, I can remember those days. But then I did want somebody to tell me what to do. Because even though my oldest was four, you know, I had a newborn and a two or three year old, depending on when it was at that time. So the decision fatigue, you're right. Just having everything laid out makes it so easy. And then as you get your kids get older, and you've got one or two little preschoolers coming behind, then you start feeling guilty because you're not doing as much with them as what you were before with your oldest. And so... Right. And that's one reason why like having learning trays or having
1: a few ideas that are easy to implement in between doing a lesson with your older child.
0: Yeah. And I love how you said your focus is on building memories. Because even though I know my child, my littlest child, and mine is even beyond preschool age at this point. But, you know, looking back a couple of years, even though I know that he he didn't need that stuff, that was what I wanted. I wanted him to have the good memories of that stuff. Like my older two had the good memories of the stuff we did when they were little. So, yeah, you're kind of hitting all the good hot button topics for <laughs> her moms there. So, well, how do I know if my little one is ready? Do you have some guidelines? Yeah, it's interesting
1: because I know that, like you said, you know, a lot of times if it's your first child, you're just super eager to do something with them. And I think that, you know, we can kind of gently encourage our children to have a slightly longer attention span. Like, you know, for instance, with reading to our kids, some of the time I'll just let my kids play with Duplos or play with their Beanie Babies or something while I'm reading. And sometimes I want them to develop the skill of sitting down for a few minutes with me while we read but everything we do, it's gentle, you know, so instead of like forcing a kid to sit there doing letters in the sand, you know we'll offer the opportunity to do it once. And if it's not interesting that time, we'll put it aside and pull out something else. So you know, I think that with young children, there there are certain things that they need to kind of need to be their daily responsibilities, like getting themselves dressed or learning to make their bed. But with learning, we can take some cues from them about how ready they are, and then, maybe adjust, you know, if it's a lesson on recognizing a letter, instead of making them sit down and, you know, draw letters, we could have them hop across the room while they say the letter and we're holding up a flashcard. So So there, there could be ways that we teach that thing to a child who's maybe a little more active or has a harder time sitting down quite yet. So I think that we can really, as we introduce activities, see how our child responds to them and then we can respond to that you know and as moms i believe that we know when it's when it's just a bad attitude and when it's a child who's not ready and we can you know trust our intuition on that
0: yeah and a lot of times with kids that age it's like 99% not ready it may manifest itself in bad attitude but at 99% of the time it's really not ready and not you know petulance or willful disobedience or something like that they're just not right. ready yet yeah and
1: and i think that we really as moms have to be super aware of some of the basic developmental needs of preschoolers often, you know, if you have a preschooler who's driving you nuts, it might be that they're hungry or they're tired or they just really need a hug. They need some kind of sensory input, you know, and so when we encounter a child who's not ready, maybe they would be ready if they had a little, you know, some banana slices or some cheese cubes to eat while they're doing the subject. Because often there's, you know, our attention is better at certain times of the day and especially, if we're hungry, or we just haven't had enough active play, it's going to be a lot harder for us to pay attention to any kind of a lesson.
0: Yeah, that's a great because they, they never tell you. I mean, right, right. They don't my they kids, don't understand. Yeah. And even at, you know, even at an older age, you know, my seven year old often, it'll just have a horrible, you know, horrible, no good, very bad day. And I'm like, what is wrong with this kid? And like, you know, the next day he wakes up and he's just, you know, sick with a cold or something like that. And you're like, oh, he felt horrible yesterday. And he just couldn't verbalize that. Oh, I'm starting to feel bad. And I, you know, I shouldn't be doing this. So that's why. yeah. So, I mean, for me
1: as a spiritual person, it takes a lot of prayer because you don't always know what it is. And there's it's kind of a daily there's not like a formula for figuring out what your children need. You really have to be
0: very in tune. Yeah, very much so. Okay, so I know this next question is one that moms are just dying to hear the answer to. What are some of your best tips for juggling the needs of little ones while trying to get some school done with your older kids?
1: You know, partly we did a lot of schooling all together. So I love, I love it that you and some of the other homeschool leaders are coming out with morning time plans because I feel like that was one of the best ways of getting older kids educated without making life miserable for the younger kids or pushing them off. You know, so we would do an extended morning time where I might be nursing a baby and I'd have a toddler or preschooler sitting at a table right beside me coloring. And I'd be reading, you know, we'd read from the Bible or we'd read from a read aloud, whatever year we were studying, we typically did our studies chronologically. So I would always be reading aloud and the books weren't necessarily interesting to my preschooler or my kindergartner or my baby. But all of them were picking up vocabulary from it. And then all of us got to discuss things. And I loved seeing how the little ones would start to pick up on bigger ideas. You know, they would start to remember who BeWolf was. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Or be able to recognize Italy on a map because we'd done it with the older kids and they were there and they were a part of it. So, you know, partly I think just not worrying about age segregating learning and kind of having an attitude of more learning being a family journey. And that also might mean that I would have to assign an older child to play with a baby while I did math with a middle child, you know, or assigning an older child to read aloud to a toddler, because reading aloud is a very good skill for all of our kids. It works on articulation, and it works on presentation. So some skills that our 8 to 15-year-olds still need could be used to help keep a younger one happy and busy while we work with a middle child. So,
0: yeah, that's awesome. And you're right, with morning time, if nothing else, they feel like they're part of the group. They may not be understanding everything that's going on, but they feel, you know, pretty important to be doing what big brother or big sister's doing. Right. And being part of the family. Even though there are those even with morning time, <laughs> there are those toddler years where the toddler just is trying to like out loud you (laughs) as you're reading. And I think that comes down to a little bit of uh, you know, training, stopping what you're doing, removing them from the room and saying, this is not going to happen. You know, you're going to go into your room and listen to something on audiobook, go to a safe place where I don't have to watch you all the time and listen to something on audiobook until you can learn to be in here and be quiet.
1: Right. And I I probably over rely sometimes on snacks, like snacks keep your kid's mouths busy. So, you know, whatever. if you're struggling with trying to read and and I know a lot of homeschool moms re- do their reading aloud during mealtime so they might grab their food before or after and then read aloud while their kids are eating their meal because when your child's mouth is busy with their food they're not going to try and talk over you and and I know you know I feel like my boys would more have a struggle with being louder in my family it seemed like the girls are a little bit quieter and the boys are a little bit louder and I know that every family that's different but you know kind of being aware and maybe using audiobooks in the car if you're really short on read aloud time so that your kids can play legos and you don't feel like you have to yell over the sound of the clinking legos.
0: Yeah, or it at our house it's not clinking legos so much as some of the legos have sound effects and then some of the <laughs> legos are knocking other ones over or blowing other ones up or <laughs>
1: Right, right, right. Boys are very good at sound
0: effects. Oh yes. Oh yes. Well, Jennifer I have a few questions for you. We call it the Fast Five, and I was wondering if you were ready for it. Absolutely. Okay. What is one thing in your Amazon cart right now? Well, I actually,
1: I just bought Leonardo da Vinci by Diane Stanley and the Book of Comfort by Elizabeth Gouge, which I I own, but my sister saw it and was like, I want this one. So those are two Amazon purchases at this moment. Okay, so like your sister's
0: not going to find out her birthday present or anything. Uh,
1: that's okay. Yeah. She, <laughs> she, she, we, we discussed it. It's really soon. So.
0: What's your favorite family read aloud ever?
1: You know, I, it's probably a toss up between the Little House on the Prairie and the Little Britches series. Both of those series have such good family, you know, such nobility in a way in the way the families withstood hard times and worked together and loved each other. So, there's a lot of other books that we've read over the years, but those are definitely the ones that I reread for kids as they grow so they can hear those stories.
0: Love it. What about your best field trip ever? Oh my
1: gosh, we just got back from Ireland and Africa. We went to Ireland for Christmas and stayed with my aunt and uncle, saw all kinds of castles, which is amazing this year because we're studying the Middle Ages. And then we went and did a mission trip into Africa, Tanzania. So, we got to see a monkey and a hedgehog and Maasai Warriors. So really that was probably the most incredible field trip that our family has taken. You know, seeing those those two countries and enjoying the people and the hospitality. That's awesome. You know, I was thinking like the post office, but you're like, Ireland and Africa. (laughs) Yeah, I I did really like the Mrs. Grossman sticker factory. Honestly, that was probably the best field trip in California that I've done. But Oh, that would be cool.
0: (laughs) We just we just did a really fun one. So well, what are you as mom reading right now
1: for yourself? Oh, funny! I'm I'm actually the the current book that's on my nightstand is Born Again by Chuck Colson, which I have never read, and then I also just finished Different by Sally Clarkson. Oh, so huh. I usually have I usually have a big stack, but those are the two most current. How do you like Different? It was good. It was really interesting because I have a learning disabled child, and I'm also writing a memoir with my oldest daughter on an issue that she went through with depression so it's it was really interesting to read the two voices and also it's it's such a different peek into Sally Clarkson's life because I've you know I've read her books through the years and they're often so inspiring and everything's so perfect and sometimes I just at last it's like I can't light candles tonight I'm sorry you know and so reading different was a totally different side of her life and I really appreciated all the honesty and vulnerability that she expressed there.
0: Awesome. All right. Last one. I have to have blank to get me through the day. Coffee. Definitely coffee. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, I love my coffee. Well, Jennifer, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been awesome to have you on the podcast. And could you tell everybody where they can find you online? Yeah, I'm on Instagram at
1: Jennifer Pepito. And then my peaceful preschool curriculum And then the upcoming The Playful Pioneers curriculum are available through thepeacefulpress.com. Well, thanks so much. We appreciate it. Thank you, Pam. I loved chatting with you. It was the highlight of my day.
0: And there you have it. If you would like links to any of the books or resources that Jennifer and I talked about today, you can find them on the show notes for this episode of the podcast. Those are at pambarnhill.com forward slash HSP 47. We'll have all the resources linked up for you right there. Also on the show notes for this episode are instructions on how to leave a rating or review for the podcast in iTunes. If you enjoy the podcast, it would help us get word out to more listeners if you leave us a review and we really appreciate you taking the time to do that. We'll be back again in another couple weeks with another great homeschooling interview. Until then, keep on homeschooling.